You're listening to One Good Take, the podcast that delves into the nitty-gritty of film development and distribution and explores the often elusive chemistry that brings the film to life. In this episode of One Good Take, I chat with cinematographer Seppi van Krieken. I first came across Seppi's work in the superb TV series The Serpent, starring Tahar Rahim and Jenna Coleman, based on the crimes of serial killer Charles Sobrage. I was hugely impressed by the show and asked Seppi to talk to us about his part in creating this casually chaotic 70s world of backpackers in Thailand and Asia. This episode is a bit longer than usual as we go into some technical stuff about choice of lenses and cameras, so I split it into two in case you're short of time. Here's that take. Hey, Seppi, how are you doing? Hi, Nick, how are you? Yeah, good. What have you been up to in the last, uh, well, a couple of months? Well, I've actually finished the job about a month ago now. So uh, before that, I was shooting on um, on a TV series for Channel 4. And in the last month, I've basically been recovering and <laughs> yeah. work, okay. um, getting some stills degraded for The Serpent now, which releases tomorrow on um, on Netflix. Okay. Getting some, some stills from my website and uh, my agent's website ready. Yeah. yeah relaxed. Yeah, cool. Have you got anything new lined up? Um, potentially. Just an hour ago, there was something that came in that might happen, might not happen. But uh, yeah, okay. I, I yeah, think yeah. I'm, I'm getting back into, as I say, my eyes starting to itch again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, it's quite interesting way of putting it. Yeah. But anyway, let's, let's wind back a bit. I'm curious to know how you got started. Uh, did you go the usual route of film school and short films and and on from there i think it's safe to say that there's very little about my route that was usual <laughs> um, okay i i studied sinology uh, which is the study of china right um at a time inspired by an interest as a teenager in martial arts and i wanted to go to university but didn't really know what I wanted to do there, there were some subjects that interest me, but my maths in high school were very weak. So uh, psychology wasn't really an option. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Analogy sounds like it. So, <laughs> no, yeah. so that learned the language. And by the end of those five years, I'd spend a year in Taipei uh, as an exchange student where I started doing analog photography, which I'd been doing photography since yeah, my dad had, had a dark room when we were kids. And always been interested by it and as a teenager I was making lots of pictures with the early sort of first day digital cameras that came out um, and very bad pictures I recently found a drive of my high school photos and it's incredible how many yeah. photos I have made before there were some presentable ones but um, okay yeah so in, in Taipei I, I realized I really like photography and maybe that's what I want to do in the future Okay, how how old were you when you were in Taipei? It must have been twenty two, twenty three, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And how how long were you there? For a year. Um, okay. So you got to learn um, Chinese. Well, um, which kind of Chinese? So uh, in Sinology, the main the main thing in that in that program is learning the language Mandarin. Yeah, Mandarin. Yeah. That year is just to send you off to really get your language, um, get some practical experience with it. So I was there for a year, 
uh, yeah, in Taipei, traveled a bit around the country there, met lots of, we had great sort of um, programs at, at the university to get us to learn Chinese from, from other students there that, who were Chinese, Taiwanese. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was it was a great experience, and 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 developing was quite cheap there. So I I took one of my dad's old cameras with me and started shooting lots of analog images. And came back to finish my masters, and then realized like this is this is what I want to do. But I always said I'd abandon whatever. I'd always said in the end, if I go and and do sinology now, and I want to do something completely different, that's fine. I'm I'm doing this course because it interests me. And it's a university degree, so I'll I'll be fine. But it was a bit drastic towards the end. I was like five years of hard work, and if I go and study photography now in Brussels or Antwerp, then yeah, that's that's a lot of work down the drain. Yeah, I, I can relate. Yeah, but, but but it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because you so, sort of gone full circle. Because I see, you know, you not only the serpent, which is how we connected you know because I, I loved your work on on that amazing series on bbc um but you've also done like um martial arts kind of action stuff haven't you so <laughs> you know it, it was not a waste you know you, you you've worked with a chinese director so yeah, you know, yeah. perhaps it was all for for a good cause in the end you know um tell me about that because i think you were nominated for a award on that one weren't you it's um uh, master z or z and depending yeah. on where you're from uh the Ip Man Legacy. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't exactly my work. That was. It was. I think it was for stunt coordination. Oh, okay. Um, at Golden Horse Festival. Um, yeah. That that, that it, it is a crazy full circle. Although by the time I did that, I wasn't that into martial arts as much. I'd broken my shoulder in wrestling when I just moved to Beijing. Ah. Made me move away a bit out of the martial world. Also, it. I just grew out of the the. the yeah, some of the macho sides of, of that world. Yeah, um, yeah, I can imagine. But yeah, I done I done one feature, and I, I I was offered. I was asked if 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 I would be interested in doing uh, an action movie with Yuan Wuping, who's in China is quite a legendary figure. In in, I mean, outside of China as well, like he choreographed Kill Bill and and The Matrix and. Uh, for a very long time, he was the go-to man uh, if you needed some Asian fighting on screen uh, or non-Asian. Asian, I mean, yeah, The Matrix is is a, yeah incredible work by him, and so he's he's been directing as well. Uh, he did the sequel to uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon uh, for the Weinstein Company in, in New Zealand, and so my friend who was involved with that got me. Yeah, basically got me into the room, so to speak. So they, they, they considered taking me on for that job. I never thought I'd get it because I'd done a teeny tiny indie movie. Yeah, so you haven't got much, you didn't have much action on your reel before this amazing <laughs> choreographed action thing? Nope. No, it's interesting, well, isn't it? It was a learning curve and, and um, a very tough shoot, 90-day shoot in the south of China. Yeah. And yeah, a, a world in which I wasn't really that, at home, like the stuntees world, lots of wire work, very fast operating, which yeah, I'd, I'd done a film before that was sort of dolly track, very slow developing shots. So, so a steep learning curve, but I, I think it was good to, 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 to get that experience. And I learned so much uh, from it. Also the, the crew was quite big on that. So yeah, the management of, of all the different departments. Uh, I mean, it must be quite a different, way of shooting from your normal drama isn't it because it because the sheer speed of the action you're 
you're shooting yeah. all sorts of I mean I imagine you you were working with possibly what well, camera A and B as well were you yeah um, we were. yeah yeah cameras yeah. Um, yeah it's very different we 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 had a lot of time of course so I remember thinking at the time like damn we spent we're gonna do 10 days on one action scene and I'm not sure if I think it's great if that's a good thing because <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah they come day five of that scene you're everybody's sort of Oh. <laughs> yeah i can't remember the first minute or something yeah, yeah. so it, it it's it, it has its its positives but also a bit of its, its downsides having that much time and money it becomes so big and it becomes so yeah luckily i think a director like young whooping is so clear in his vision that like especially for the action sequences like it was really a, a pyramid type of structure um so he mm. would basically shot by shot he would say the next thing that we're doing for the next hour or a couple of hours is and then he would use his hand and show what what's going to happen so it was a way of working that i wasn't really used to in the indie world before that there was lots of talking lots of prepping lots of considering and then yeah like because you're doing drama you'd sort of before tackling a scene you'd sort of envision the whole thing and so on Master Z, it was sometimes we'd do two, three days of drama, which was more of what I was used to. And then, and then there'd be two weeks of uh, action. And that would really be fragmented shot by shot with, with everything clear in, in, in Yuan Wuping's mind, I guess. Um, do you find it quite prescriptive in the way you worked? I mean, it, you know, he's like the boss and he says, this is the next shot, this is the next shot, and so on. Um, so was your focus more on composition? lens work and, and lighting. Yeah, than, you, do, you yeah. Do focus then on what is within your realm for definition, which is, yeah, lighting. I thought on that film, my main contribution was also just the the, 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 lot, the look of it, the colours of it and the lighting. Yeah, I, 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 it's interesting. I noticed, you know, a lot of people will look at a picture and say, well, that's the colourist. And, of course, it is to a degree. But I do notice your work has got a, a really consistent, quite saturated moody and warm tone to it so you, clearly you're you know you're not using the same colorist on every picture but you your your reel is very consistent in its look what makes you go for these kinds of somewhat saturated colors in in talking with 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 producers directors or colorists like saturation often is for me is is um I wouldn't say I love high saturated images per se. So, but it, it's all in the words, I guess. Like I, I do think, yeah, it's it's hard to describe, isn't it? Why your eyes sort of says that needs to be. Yeah. Like you don't you don't really know why you do it, but I wasn't quite sure whether some of that saturation is due to the fact a lot of the your work I've seen is in places like Thailand, India, China, where the light, of course, is so much better than here. I mean, here in in the UK, the light is very sort of flat. Mm. Um, whereas you know, in in these other sunnier places, there's there's a richness there that you you can't get in the UK. Yeah. And so I, I I wonder what how much of it is the natural light that you you're you're able to play with just almost by virtue of it being there, and how much you're you're putting in a certain saturation. I would I wouldn't say your saturation is you know some some people are, it's like one car white you know it's, it's almost bleeding yeah. kind of kind of saturation right but it's it's a sort of muted uh but yeah. very beautiful i i think saturation is 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 technically 
connected with contrast. So Wong Kar Wai is, is a very high contrast sort of, or so, some of his more 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 well known imagery is high contrast, and thus yeah. as a byproduct of that, it becomes quite saturated. Definitely, some of the places I've worked in naturally have a lot of color. Yeah, because yeah. I, I mostly work digital and, and in dealing with colors in digital, I find that I'm often toning down the digital color and sort of trying to make it feel a bit more organic. And, and possibly I think that comes from what you're used to seeing in films. Uh, green in a digital world is, is, is very sort of um, poisonous, uh, harsh. And then what you know, you see in movies, it's got a... a a different quality yeah warmth hasn't it yeah rated quality and and so i think that's as much as i i don't want to do it per se i notice that often the bringing colors towards something that my eye finds more organic and more recognizable from pictures i've seen or from the way you see the world around you i guess is it's something that, yeah. and just the color grading process, I find is so rewarding and rich. I really enjoy it, and I, I, I do it myself a little bit, usually before I go into a, a suite with a, with a colorist. I wanted to ask you, actually, um, do you actually run a test and, and go into, well, either with a colorist or your, yourself, you know, at home, and get a, a sense of the kind of look that you want and agree that with the director and producer? Or do you just yeah. use references? before the shoot and say, I want this kind of look? On almost all of my work, I work with a LUT. So um, a file yeah. that I put on the camera that says, that's how you interpret colors. And I always build that in advance in testing. I started wanting to do that with the colors because I had no clue how you do it. Uh, right. <laughs> it's very hard to find very capable colorists who have that know-how that are not working in a company where every moment counts. And then producers on smaller jobs wouldn't say, oh yeah, of course we do. We pay a colorist in pre-production. Like that's still a notion that often is sort of, yeah, unfamiliar to producers. So I ended up myself and I bought a color chart and for each job I sort of figure out a good uh, look that I use and that often isn't miles away from what the final product would. I I, I would say the, the Master Z... Uh, lot was very I, I built about 10 lots for that because we had very different locations and lighting situations and yeah and some were sort of day for night or day for dusk so and then i think the final product isn't that far off from from the the, the look that we said um yeah and and what were your influences when you came to do this film a master the, the action yeah this the action yeah, there's there's um there was one reference that I discussed with the gaffer in terms of the, the quality of light, which was uh, Road to Perdition. Okay. Um, that seems more green in my my memory, but maybe... Yeah, not so much in terms of colours, because Road to Perdition almost has a, has a monochromatic sort of darks and, and, and brights and, and not so much in between in colours. and But it's the quality of light that... It was incredible to work with Zhang Yong, a very, a very good gaffer in China. Who um, he he watched that reference with me, and we discussed what what I saw in it and what I liked in it. Which is sort of it's it's large, soft surfaces in terms of the sources are all quite big, soft sources, yeah. uh, which gives a, a very solid look to skin tones and the way the light wraps around faces. It's very rich. 
and yeah, it gives it de depth as well, doesn't it? Sorry, yeah, it gives it gives it depth because yeah. the shadows aren't so too too high yeah. contrast, right? You know, it's, yeah. it gives yeah. it sort of depth. Yeah, it's soft, but with soft. Yeah. I mean, lighting all the time, but it, like a soft light that has strong direction. It, for mm. me, uh, not always, but eighty percent of the time, that's. I, I notice when I react well to light that, that that's a quality of it. So um, yeah, yeah, that was definitely one. And then, and then, at the time, I was still very much believing in references. So I, I made a a very elaborate lookbook almost for each scene. I had like uh, frame grabs from movies. There was like stuff like Constantine. Yeah. Um, there was a very good Korean movie called um, Memories of Murder. Okay, don't know that one. Which is more for the, the way the action was shot that, that I, I was interested in. A Bittersweet Life was a, was a very big reference as well, another Korean movie. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there were so many that, um, yeah. We, we looked a little bit at, at um, The Grandmaster. Okay. It's like Colors, and which is a Wong Kar Wai movie. Yeah, but I think on the whole, it, it, what what I really was sure about in that film was was that sort of the 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 the, the way the light with the locations that we had and and um, wanted to behave. And I think I'm quite happy with the way that came out. Like, uh, yeah, it looks great. Love the, it. Love the, the look. Yeah. He had a big team. The, the lighting team was like 25 people, and the, the last week before the shoot. We were in a big back lot, so all of it is shot in the same place almost. Like there's a couple of times we left the back lot, but most of the time it was all there, three or four streets. And so his team for the last week just turned into this sweatshop. Uh, yeah. Four kilometers of uh, black cloth for the studio work. Um, oh, wow. They built these styrofoam boxes, the ones you get for like um, seafood. And so these styrofoam boxes are this big, and they would put six or eight uh, tungsten bulbs in them. On a demo, mm -hmm. and okay. so it means that like it would radiate the the, the actual the styrofoam would radiate light in all directions a little bit and get a, a level of fill. yeah kind of diffuse yeah of fill yeah it, which was open and which they put egg crates and and some diffusion on would be the key so it was oh, doing right. okay doing that sort of yeah what I described to him that I that I liked in in Road to Perdition he sort of translated that to a little gag light that he built himself and. Mm. Yeah, it was it was it was a great experience to see him take on that idea and then and then build his own stuff for it. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the serpent. How did you get to work on that? Well, I was I was trying to get in bed with a Belgian director for a couple of years already. He Yamatas. I just shot a series with him uh, for Channel Four, and he was doing at the time he was doing a Netflix series called The Last Kingdom. Okay. Yeah, no, no. Um, I for it in the end. I didn't get the job, but the producers who I met, the line producer in particular, who I met during those interviews, uh, remembered me. And I think they just, at some point, they were looking for a DP, and she remembered somebody that had experience in Asia and called me up. So I'm Tom Tom Shanklin, the director. Yeah. And he hit off really well from the beginning. And yeah, I was stoked at the idea of going, going to Bangkok for a couple of months. And somehow lots of the work I'd done up until then was, was period. So my first feature, King of Peking, was set in the 90s, which not deep period, but still. When we shot that, that felt like we were 
going back in time. Yeah, and then obviously Master Z was set in the 60s. So I, I really like that, the nostalgic quality of it. Yeah, I see you even sort of use some 70s kind of techniques like the zoom. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah, it's quite nice. That sort of just, it, it's quite subtle. You know, you could have gone over the top with that, but I, I quite like the fact you, yeah. you know, it's really subtle. No, so it was it was from the beginning. It, on paper, I was like, I'd love to do this, and, and uh, it would be great. And then me, me and Tom just started to exchange ideas, look at stuff. I, I, I cut this massive um, reference reel. Uh, so moving away a little bit from the idea of doing like a lookbook with stills that sort of are really about look, but now bringing scenes and little like shots yeah. from movies. Yeah, like a sizzle it, reel, so to speak. Sorry? A bit like a sizzle reel, as they call them. Yeah, but it was more extensive. Because I had one that was just uh, a song long, basically, which was a bit like a sizzle reel. And then I had another one that would, had like dialogue scenes. To, but yeah. to analyze, like, I remember there was a movie called Henry, A Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, yeah. Mm. And in that, there's like two guys talking. One of them has killed before. The other's just killed for the first time. And they're talking. And by the end of the conversation, the guy who's a bit shook, shook from his first murder is sort of convinced that what they've done is okay. And the shot starts with, with, with the guy that needs convincing being quite close, quite, quite small in the frame. And so the two shot is sort of favoring Henry, who's big in the frame. Yeah. For the whole conversation, it's just that shot. But by the end of it, they're 50-50. They're equal in size because we've now landed in front of them. But we've started yeah. almost raking. And just the psychology of that, like with Tom, we... we, we We've, we really narrowed down what we like to do with using camera movement and, and angles to underline what a certain scene is, what the bigger arc is in the scene. Like, Because um, you'd never really notice it when you look at that scene in Henry that you go, oh yeah, that's what they've done and that's why. But then when you're in that mood of analysing films and, and yeah, you, yeah. you realise, like, oh yeah, it's, it's very effective because like, as, a, as a watcher, subconsciously you go, oh, by the end of the scene, they're they're on the same page. They're on they're on they're in the same perspective towards the camera. That's all the theory <laughs> that you get to time. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you all days to shoot an episode, and uh, yeah. But the, the serpent was shot in a in a in a fantastic chaos. Right. Okay. I, I believe Tom actually orchestrated secretly, and <laughs> okay, it, he's he's a, he's masterful at. at yeah, zooming out, I guess, and seeing what the bigger picture is. So he, he's not just thinking about this line or this scene or this day, but he's thinking about what, what's the energy of this show. And, and I yeah. know a lot of pushback came, even, even on set, from like people, people working on set going like, what, what is, what's going on here? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, we were sort of channeling that sort of 70s chaotic mentality of making movies. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is on a, on a TV series schedule in 2019. <laughs> but, um, but somehow he got away with it, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's one of the best series I've seen in the last 12 months, no question. I don't know how technical you are or are or, or interested in it, but, like, I... I I'm very happy with what I did in terms of lensing on that because uh, we had not enough money to, to use the <laughs> lenses that I wanted to use. 
they'd sold Tom yeah. and myself on the idea to shoot the two timelines in a completely different format. Right. So the serial killer who's manipulative and oh, really? yeah. what you see is not what you get and he distorts mm. things. We shot that on anamorphic lenses. So, But it meant, like, I, I had really good lenses. I found really good lenses in Thailand to shoot that on, which was a, a wide set of 10 lenses. And then I would have a zoom right. with that as okay. well. Yeah. But of course, if you shoot it in two different formats, you need a full set for, I mean, yeah. you've got two cameras, so you need an extensive set for the anamorphic and then an extensive set for the spherical. And we just didn't have money. Yeah. But yeah. I persisted on doing yeah. it that, that way anyway, which made my nightmare even bigger because I, yeah. like, I had no right. lenses, mm. basically. I had two yeah. cameras and four primes. But of those four primes, there was two that I couldn't use because they were just so distorted and ugly. So the wider focals, the, the 40 and the 50, I never touched. And so that meant I had a 75 and a 100 to serve two cameras. Uh, and then a zoom lens. Yeah. But like the zoom lens I mean, was, I, mean I, was, was, I, was, um, I was watching a, a episode one just before we came on here. Got, and I was thinking, so the lens already is like a two aid, but then anamorphic. And then I'd see another scene and I think, mm, so maybe I've like got that wrong. So maybe so that, that, that explains your, your and, two and the choices there. It becomes very yeah. mushy when you shoot it wide open. I had to light all the zoom scenes for like, yeah, a massive amount of light, like five, six and a half. Uh, and Tom early on said, "Like, don't worry, we won't use it at night. <laughs> of course, we need yeah. all the time." And I think the anamorphic <laughs> also brings that so, kind of slightly yeah, dreamlike quality uh, to life, doesn't it? So options, that but, that but, that but, but underlines that how bewitching he is and, and anyway, manipulative. And nobody really uh, notices yeah. it. Like, it's not like people go, "Whoa, yeah. very different lenses," but it's such different worlds because of that. Like the. Her- Yeah, and then, yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, I should let you go. Um, thanks again. Um, but yeah, just before I do go, I uh, would because yeah, Herman's world is, is square, and it, it is a bit what you see is what you get, and he's he's honest in a way. So if you, I mean, it doesn't have to mean that, but if you uh, uh, sign assign the meaning of uh, honesty and dishonesty to anamorphic and and spherical lenses, despite being honest and the anamorphic. Yeah, yeah, and it makes everything look a bit more beautiful, and 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 it, it is it is just uh, ro- romantic in a way. It, and that's what he did to his, to his victims. He sort of made things look a little bit more beautiful and then lured into a false of purity. Really, really absorbing. Yeah. And, and how did you get on with the, the cast, the principal cast? And you had some fantastic oh, yeah. actors there, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really I remember the first time seeing Tahar in London. Uh, and I was, I was, yeah, like a kid in a candy store, dreaming up the equipment we were going to use and, and looking at all these incredible films from the seventies and, and then meeting Taha, who I obviously had seen on screen and thought was incredible. Yeah. But immediately yeah. we were, uh, in the way we talked, I felt like this is like, yeah, brothers in arms type of thing, like sort of like we're going to go off and do this. So yeah. I remember making some pictures just for a general 
I don't even know why we were making these pictures, but I went to a makeup test with a little little compact camera and made some images of Tahar. But just in finding them, we find a little alley behind the place where they were doing the makeup test. And like, yeah, uh, it was it was me with a compact camera and Tahar Rahim in an alley, and he was down for it, really enthusiastic and going. Like, oh, I'm brilliant! So curious how this is gonna go. Yeah, I set the tone a little bit because. There's been so many moments where it was very hard on, on our cast to sort of work in the conditions that um, we, we were able to offer them, unfortunately. The heat, you know. Yeah, I imagine. All the heat. So we, we worked on location almost entirely. So that often meant we were in teeny tiny places. Uh, okay. Needed yeah. a little bit of help from the actors to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I think you did, is it the first three or four? Four. They, they, yeah, they brought in um, Hans, uh, yeah. Hans, what was his last name? I forget now. Uh, Robots, yeah. That's it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he brought in his own DP, I guess. Is that right? I actually worked with a British uh, DP called Cy Bell. Who did, okay. He did Peaky Blinders. Uh, oh, yeah. And many other series. He does, he does great TV work. What was the reason for Tom only doing the first four with you? Is just. I think it must have been schedules and stuff. I, it, uh, very. Uh, I think it's it's the scale of it and and sort of the the volume. Yeah. I remember on our set, like we had so many timelines and different, you know, intricate timings and uh, so many locations as well. That um, I think they chopped it up in two blocks and to make a certain delivery date, I guess, or for financial reasons also, like double banking is interesting. Uh, and so you need two different blocks to, to do that. So they, they the, the original plan was to shoot quite a lot of that second block in the last month of the first block. So that like production gets a block where uh, two teams are running at the same time, which helps with, with cost efficiency, I imagine. Okay. Yeah. And so how long were you out there? Uh, must have been close to six months. Yeah. Yeah. And so Thailand, I guess, was your main base, but you, you traveled to like India and just outside? Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Because yeah, I, I can't remember quite which countries were featured besides uh, Thailand in the first four, but it was, it was mainly, of course, Thailand. It was, but... it was um, Hong Kong was in there. Uh, yeah. Nepal. Yeah, Nepal. Yeah. Mm. I think, yeah, it opens with an interview that's set in Paris in the story. But yeah, it it was all almost all uh, Bangkok, and yeah. Thailand, but but close to Bangkok, like we couldn't really go to to a far corner of the of the country due to schedule and and, and, and budget. We had an incredible production designer, Francois Labart, who'd who'd done work in us in this in the same period. Like he, yeah, the look is fantastic, isn't it? It feels worked, very genuine. Yeah, he worked on um, Carlos, which is an Olivier Asayas movie and uh, series about sort of the first terrorist in, in the 70s. And so, yeah, his work on that, I guess, drew production to, to, to hiring him on The Serpent. Um, yeah. It did really well with finding all these different time periods and different locations, Southeast Asian locations. But I know that on Hans's block, on the second block, they, they had to go and find Paris in the UK and uh, India in, 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 in Thailand, which was also quite a challenge. So yeah, it's, 
it wasn't easy. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. They never are, are they? No. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So that was what, 2018, 19? 19. When you were shooting? 19, yeah, yeah. And so what came up straight after that? Well, COVID. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, uh, Why did I ask? Yeah. Okay. Did that really, did that pretty much ground you for a while? You know, um, oh, a little bit, yeah. I came home from that in December, from the Serpent. And then, and then I was actually about to go to China again. For I had like three features lined up in China with incredible directors. was very stoked on that year. I just thought like, wow, this is going to be... Yeah, like I hadn't done a film in a while, and um, it was all scripts that I knew quite well and directors that I was very, very keen to work with. But um, it became impossible to to go yeah. and, or even to plan a pre-production to begin. And like I, the first two months of COVID, I I was deep in prep on on the first feature in China, and we just figured like, ah, oh, this is gonna blow up. Like in a couple of months, it'll be it'll be over. So we just kept prepping. Uh, every day I was on, 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 a, on a Zoom call with that director. And I, and I was thinking, this is great. It's like, I've never prepped a film this precisely. And I love the script. And, and, um, but it, it, it kept pushing, kept pushing until she was like, I, I, I can't do it anymore now. And like, I think the production company at some point backed out because they, they realized that the climate was changing so much. In, in the, the movie industry or, or in just in, in the presentation industry, like in, in whatever can be screened and make some box office. And everything was so uncertain that like they weren't going to take a gamble on a, on a smaller, edgy sort of... Uh... It was one of those more, more festival-focused uh, indie films that comes out of China that is not blatantly a, a, a critique on, on society, but, but is... <laughs> Okay. So it's it set in the past, is it? No, oh, it's, it's a contemporary piece. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Can you can you briefly tell us what the, the story was? Yeah, it's about it's about a guy that comes. Uh, he's released from prison after being falsely convicted for rape, and he goes and 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 finds his victim or his girlfriend at the time, who who uh, by her family was was forced to. Um, Give a false statement that that, the, that he was he was the culprit. Yeah, the, the relationship they had had the, the sexual relations they had had were not um, something she asked or wanted. So he went to jail, comes out, and so at the beginning of the film, it feels like you're actually looking at a vengeance story or something like that. But he's not the brightest, so he actually ends up teaming up with this woman in kidnapping the son of the uh, family that she's being a nanny in. and slowly the movie becomes really absurdist when when this when this the main uh, character becomes good friend good friends with this little kid who's also a bit of an idiot and so mm-hmm. it's a celebration of like absurdity and how idiots all, always land on their feet yeah a very unique film like sort of it has some coen brothers Vibe, yeah, to see that uh, sort of quirky and dark with a hint of comedy, maybe. Dark, <laughs> um, but but I thought just highly original because it 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 
it shifted. It constantly it was like some like a um, like a drag act, and, and they constantly strip down another layer, and something else comes out. Like, oh, right, yeah. It, okay. it starts where you go like crime, drama, vengeance, dark, bleak, and then by the end of it, you, I think I, I was I was laughing out loud often when I was reading the script because it just was mad. Quirky, yeah. yeah. And so it was set in China, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it would have been set yeah. in Beijing. I think okay. they have got it in the meanwhile, but yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. The last time I heard that director, she said, we're going to go ahead now. I'm sorry if it's, yeah, it's going to be without you probably. Mm, shame. Yeah. No, yeah. That was heartbreaking. And then I thought I, I wasn't going to work for a while because of COVID and not being able to leave the country because all, all of my work had been in the UK or in China and I was stuck in Belgium. Yeah, and Belgium was quite badly hit, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you then, still have Jan Matas, the director that I mentioned earlier, who sort of was my lead into The Serpent, called me up and said, I'm, I'm about to go on this um, adventure for Channel 4. Do you want to come and, come and join? And I did. And, and that, kept me, that kept me busy from August all the way till early February. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and how was it working through COVID times? Um, masked up, etc. Yeah, the mask is something I probably am never gonna be a fan of or get used to. Uh, my nose keeps on poking out, so uh, we had a COVID mask <laughs> as you do now on set, and um, I was I was probably the worst on the set. He had to come and after after a couple of weeks, just him showing his face in my vicinity would be enough to let me know. Oh yeah, I gotta pull this thing up again. <laughs> Oh yeah. Mm. So he, he, yeah, he had his hands full with trying to tell me to wear my mask properly. I, I just can't really breathe with it that well, so um, I was a bit struggling. Yeah, struggling with it. But other than that, we were really lucky. Our set never got shut down. We barely had crew members uh, that had like a, a COVID scare, as we call them, like where where maybe they have it or they have to. Their wife has it and now they have to quarantine or we had like two of those i think in in those six months um yeah and so what was the process did you have to get a test beforehand or you tested regularly like every week or yeah tests twice yeah. a week more or less and then um i think the biggest the biggest influence on that production was was the way the landscape around our production was shifting all the time so locations would fall through regulations would mean we couldn't have um extras now or we couldn't have it was those type of hoops that we had to jump through that uh, did demand a little bit of like that that probably took a toll on the quality a little bit yeah inevitably i guess yeah all in all like so many of the other shoots that were going on around us in belgium were shut down for like a week or two weeks or yeah if actors fall ill or or um, director yeah and how do you deal with intimate scenes, if you had any? Because obviously, you know, scenes that are d- <laughs> like sex scenes or even kissing, you know, I guess they had to be pulled back to something else? No, not at all. No, no all, okay. Like all of the main, so the, the um, director, all the cast, DP, I think even somebody in the sound department, because they're micing up. The, the cast every day all of those were in a bubble so to speak so they were tested twice a week and they were okay to be to, to break the the social distancing rule basically on set yeah uh, yeah so yeah we had scenes of people 
I mean, most teams require actors to be too close to to. Yeah, end. exactly. Yeah. So that was fine. And then when you get scenes where there's extras, people that come in for a day, or if it was proper actors coming in for a day or a week, they'd be tested. Later on in our shooting schedule, the whole quarantine thing sort of kicked in as well. So then I remember at some point after we shot in Bristol, all of us flew back on a private jet, the whole cast. And okay. myself, because there weren't, weren't enough commercial flights, and it was ju- it was around the time that the the new variant came out. Oh yeah, so mm. all of us flew back, and then they all, we all went into a two week quarantine or a mm. week. It was a week. The actors all did in one place, like they all had a flat in a block that they were in for a week, and they had a blast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Silver lining, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I think, mm. I think the, the the most negative stamp it had on on work on our work on that project was just yeah locations shutting down or companies to whom those locations um, who, who are owned by certain companies that they would go bust yeah uh, they yeah. would stop business they would stop the rent they would stop their contract on on that location and then all of a sudden we'd have to look for something else yeah we had quite a lot of changes in strategy because the whole story is set in bristol and we had to shoot most of it in belgium but we were going to do three weeks in bristol originally and we were going to kick off with that but then because of corona they pushed it and they said you know what we'll do it at the end of the shoot and then by the the end of the shoot it became so impossible that we only did a week so throughout the shoot we had to reshuffle what we were shooting here what we were shooting in in bristol yeah that, that became a bit of a nightmare yeah yeah, sometimes I can imagine. some locations and some sequences in that series that we imagined in four different locations. Yeah, it's a continuity headache to begin with, isn't it? Apart from anything else. Yeah, but just like if yeah, there was like one place where we were going to blow up a building, and so we looked at four locations and completely sketched out how we were going to do it. Drew like floor plans, drew lighting plans, got all the technical requirements lined up, and then all of a sudden it wasn't possible. Not all due to COVID. There was there was one due to um, the hunting season starting, <laughs> so we couldn't we couldn't all drive right. up in in the forest. Yeah. Okay. And and what's the story about? Briefly. It's actually it's a remake of a Swedish series called Before We Die. Okay. It's it's a guy that um, is sort of an informal undercover. Uh, he's, he's an informant, but not not an official one for a person in the local police uh, force that uh, ends up dying because of because of the people he's informing on. Um, and so he goes and tries to figure out who they are, what they do, and, 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 get, and catch them, basically. So it's really, it's really about a mom and son, because like the, the, the guy that dies is the boyfriend of, of our main character's mom. And so he ends up teaming up with his own mother, trying to figure out who killed their friend and and um, and, and lover in the case of the mom. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it, it's sort of a, one of those police stories that is about everything, but the police side of it, like the the, the people and the, the relationships between them. And um, the original Swedish series was was entirely shot sort of in a in a handheld docudrama sort of style. Yeah, and we try to bring it more towards sort of a suspense thriller. Uh, so we shot lots of Dolly. Uh, yeah, more classic, sort of Hitchcocking kind of yeah. style. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, 
it was um it was fun yeah a very good team it was it was great to work in Belgium for the first time um and and get to know some crew get to know yeah like production and and, and directors here uh yeah yeah, yeah. how many episodes will that be those are six, and then we all shot those uh, with one, one main unit, one main block. And what cameras do you generally prefer using, if you have a preference? Um, I, I've always been, like everybody else, I guess, heavily invested in the ARRI technology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not that I own any of them, but, but like that's what, for years what I always used with the Alexa, and particularly the Alexa Mini. On the Serpent, I was... I was really keen, and I think I made the right choice there to use the new, at the time the, the Sony Venice, which at the time was quite new, and it was particularly some of the operational advantages from that ca- on that camera. I'm, I've, I've, the last two days, I've just been grading some of the stills, and like it, it's incredible what that sensor gives you. So it's not just the onset use of that camera. I'm I'm curious for the um, Ari Ari's large format sensors now. Uh, I haven't I haven't used them yet, but um, yeah. So I, I've I think in the end it's a tool. So you don't necessarily need for me it doesn't need to be as rigid as I always shoot on Ari. But it's good to have a tool that you're familiar with and that that you don't need to worry about the tool and you can focus on what you're doing with it. It was liberating on the serpent to suddenly. I mean, the sensitivity on that is incredible. So the night stuff, you don't need to be, you don't need to light that much. Uh, we yeah. have really dark environments where uh, on our schedule and budget, it would have been tricky to do that on, a, on an ARRI camera where yeah. high sensitivity is, is, is around 1600. Maybe you can push it to, even if you push it to 3200 ISO, which is its maximum, that's still a long way away from, yeah, like, the native uh, ISO on, on the Venice can go up to, I mean, it's 2,500, and then you can easily push that to, like, 5,000. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, mm. that's, that's a different type of ball. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, it saves time, doesn't it? I mean, because, you know, yeah. it takes time to light. Uh, that's the biggest... Yeah. Yeah, and then all things, like, the, the fact that you shoot of a... A, a sort of a, a, a raw file on the um, on on the Sony cameras, without it being a massive file, uh, is great. Is a great advantage. I think. I think Ari is kind of catching up with that now on on their latest um, data technologies. Having NDs incremental uh, stop by stop build in on the Sony Venice was incredible as well. It's a silly thing, but like you're shooting on location, you're shooting outside. Clouds come in and out. Exposures change all the time. Yeah, great to not have to say I need a couple of minutes because we need to pull or put or put in an ND. Yeah, um, yeah. It so what does it do? It it just immediately reacts to to a change in the light that way. No, but it has them built in. So if if I wanted to put in a, a one stop ND or, or 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 take it out, I can do it with two pushes on a, on on a button. On the button. Okay. Yeah. Okay. On a system that doesn't have them incrementally stop by stop, like the, on the Aries, the it's it starts at a two stop, so that means you always put in a one stop ND, like a point three, and that's just yeah, it it it, it takes a bit of time because an assistant has to bring the filter, then the tray goes out of the map box, filter goes in, goes back in the map box, so you, you're yeah, you're two minutes or something like that, 
which is not the end of the world, but it frees you up so much as a DP to just before a take quickly check your exposure and then adjust iris and D accordingly and nobody needs to be bothered with it <laughs> yeah 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 no exactly yeah uh, keep keep some momentum going as well yeah. yeah you could be cheeky and do it while they're slating up you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 and how do you get most of your work is it is it coming through old contacts if you like uh or is it do you have an agent um i'm i have an agent yeah wizzo uh, okay yeah i know the name yeah um which is a recent thing. Before that, it was, yeah, kind of... My work, the work that I was doing in London before The Serpent was was mostly through a director called Freddie Waters. And I met Freddie after King of Peking was playing at BFI. So my, my first feature sort of did, did fairly well on the festivals and played... It was in, in competition at Tribeca. Uh, so for half a year, I was doing festivals with the director. The last stop, I think, was was BFI. And there was a Q and A afterwards, and 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 Freddie was there in the audience and and mailed me. So the next morning I had an email. So that was how for a long period I I um I was doing very low budget stuff in London through through that like somebody mailing me and saying I saw that film and I have a I have a short film I'd love to work with you on. Are you still doing any short films, or or have you kind of uh, made TV your home now? No, I I. I I wish my home was was long like it was feature, feature film. Mm. Yeah, I think there's incredible TV being made. I just was deeply impressed by I know this much is true, an HBO series that came out a little while ago. So I, I think the form is is very rich and interesting, but the freedom you have, the schedule, the fact that often with films it is a bit more of a director's sort of vision that you go. Yeah, on. it makes it more appealing to me. Um, yeah, as an overall experience, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I should leave it there. Um, we've been talking for an hour. We could go on an, another hour, I feel, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, thanks so much for talking to me, and uh, yeah, all the best for the next project. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you, Nick. I was talking to director of photography Seppe van Grieken just before you go if you haven't done so yet i'd really appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button and check out my patreon page at patreon.com penrakes podcast thank you and take care